Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. So we're in the new house. We are. We've moved. It's been another week. <laughs> Holy yeah. man. Yeah. Um, we have not unpacked nearly as fast as we have the last four times we moved. Really... I'm giving us permission that that's okay. Oh, it is okay, but it's strange. It's just like, where are the pillows? Where is the charger? Where is this? Where is that? There's a there was a lot of like last minute scramble of just like when we were packing up the the last house, we were just throwing things in boxes. Yeah, we were just done. So there's a lot of <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a lot of just like yeah, put it uh, just put it somewhere. We got to move it. So yeah, we are. In a new room that hopefully one day will be cozy and interesting and like the place we like. More of a vibe. Yeah, a vibe. Our last place was not a vibe. It was a little cocoon, but. Yeah, we're um, like, we're very like slap this together. There's <laughs> yeah. like furniture from our kitchen. There's furniture from our upstairs living room. There's boxes. There's amplifiers. <laughs> there's a random cat tree. It's, uh, it's a bit of a. Miss Mismash Mish Mash Mish Mash Yeah, it's kind of just everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. <laughs> Throw that in whenever you can. Um so just as a little intro into what we did this week, we the night we moved in, we at first were trying really hard to like unpack and get things done. Um one of our good friends Tabitha came and helped us unpack the kitchen. We spent three hours doing it, still didn't finish unpacking it still don't think it's unpacked now um and then i started feeling a lot of feelings a little panicky a little anxiety mm -hmm. and i just said like i think what i need is for us to stop like stop trying to unpack what i'd really love is to unpack the tv in the basement and watch something like that's gonna help calm me down um and you were like okay let's do that uh and <laughs> then you were like but we don't have wi-fi or cable because telus was coming the next day mm-hmm and I was like, that's okay, that's okay. We can hotspot our phone to a laptop and then plug the laptop 
into the TV with an HDMI and we can watch them. Like The other thing we forgot about is that in most places, I think, you don't get good data in a basement, mm-hmm. which is where our TV is. Um, so by the time we like, we both were so zonked, we decided to have like a shower each. And, and then I was like, okay, I'm too tired to watch a movie. But we live in Alberta and um, it's a time if you live in Alberta right now mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames are playing each other in the playoffs for hockey. And, you know, if you don't know hockey. And normally we are not hockey people. No, I mean, I admittedly, at, we can't talk today, admittedly, don't really like any sports, don't like playing them, don't like watching them. <laughs> yeah. But we have been known to jump on the bandwagon when the Oilers make the playoffs. Like I was on that bandwagon when we were in high school and they made the playoffs. That was the year that the um, we had a really good goalie and then he got injured. Is that is, Was that when we were in high school? Maybe. I just I remember know. when we were on the playoff run and we were in high school that the Leduc Theater showed it. Of course. And going to that, like, and the like the very electric kind of energy that was happening in that theater is kind of what's going on right now in Edmonton or whenever this happens. Well, yeah, it, it feels like sacrilegious not to be up to date with what's going on, particularly that it's calgary and edmonton against each other right yeah. um so i was like you know what that's uh calgary edmonton second game we didn't watch the first one um our brother-in-law is like oilers is life <laughs> yeah. and so i was like we should you know third period's about to start we should watch this that that'll like cap the night nicely but not be as long as a movie so that's what we did what an albertan thing to do the day you move in is stream the hockey game from your hot spotted laptop plugged into um, your TV. And we did manage to see the two goals that the Oilers got to win the game. And then it just kept being like, oh my God, at the circle, end of- circle, 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 circle. Yeah, spinning wheel of stop. death. Yeah. <laughs> so we we didn't manage to keep going with it. Um, but at, at uh, the end of a very long day, just like running up and down stairs, putting our phones in different places to hopefully to get-, get more bars <laughs> yeah. and just exhausted. <laughs> didn't end up seeing to the end watch of the, game. the hockey game which we didn't get to see the end of but um that was our first night in our house was hockey not even a movie what a weird thing yeah but somehow miraculously we ended up watching four movies this week we did and three of them were when we weren't in our new house and two of them we watched in interesting ways so yeah let's get started yeah the first movie we watched this week we went and saw at our absolutely favorite most favorite movie theater uh, metro cinema in edmonton um it's the it's 2021 film is that true yep okay i'm like i don't believe myself um called happening or in french la bon i'm gonna say um directed by audrey dewan and written by her and marcia romano based on the memoir by annie erno and the synopsis for this one is annie a bright young student is facing an unwanted pregnancy in 1960s france when abortion is illegal i only put our main main person for the cast because the film is really her film. Yeah. Um, so Anna Maria Vartoloma. Uh, <laughs> take that and again. you wanted to do it. <laughs> I did. I was like, I know French. <laughs> Anna Maria Vartoloma as Anne Duchesne. Um, yeah. What did you think of this movie? The like main word that kind of sticks out for me when I was putting my thoughts together in this movie was that this movie was very visceral. Mm. 
it evoked a lot of feelings from me and a very physical response throughout the whole thing. Like there are some moments that are very kind of shocking and, um, and they kind of take course over a long stretches of time and they just, they just leave you in that feeling, which is really tough. But this overall, just the, the content of this movie and what it's wanting to say and the kind of the characterization of all of the people that are in this movie, it just really drops you into that world. And just like, it just kind of sits in your gut the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it it felt really real. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I think that was also like a big standout for me in this. A reason that it felt like that is the way that this was shot put together. Um, it was shot in um, 137 to 1 aspect ratio, which is similar to what they'd used for The Lighthouse and a lot of like older kind of films. And it just because of that reduced ratio, you have like the black bars on the side. It feels very claustrophobic. And it feels very like personal. And then on top of that, a lot of the movie, a huge chunk of it, is shot from behind our main character of Anne. Like wherever she, if she's walking, sitting, whatever it is, like the camera is directly behind her head, and the focus is almost always on the back of her head. And every once in a while, the focus will cut to something in the background. It's almost as if like Anne is so in her head and focused on what's going on in her with her thoughts that you know we get these fleeting moments of where she sees something up ahead of her and she acknowledges it and then it's back inside of herself so it's like using the aspect ratio and then like this sort of soft focus and these small moments of focus that it it just really kind of turns this into a first person film a little bit and really puts you in her shoes yeah to speak to that i saw um a review from the guardian of this movie mm-hmm. um by somebody named Zan brooks and I thought this quote, because we had kind of had this conversation afterwards where you were particularly taken with the way that the aspect ratio was used to create the atmosphere of the film. And so Brooks said of that, the picture's tight framing is like a noose around Anne's neck. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, that totally feels true. There's this, what I kind of comes to mind when I go back and think about this. And, you know, we saw it a week ago today and we had a long week, so it feels like a long time ago. Mm is that there was a quietness to this movie, but yet it was filled with such tension. Yeah. Like it was just like this simmering tension throughout the whole film. Like I felt like I was holding my breath. Yeah. But not in like a uncut gems, good time panic attack way. It was just like more of an anxiety. Yeah. Like it was just like, well, I guess a panic attack is, but like it just felt like it was like simmering deep within, like threatening to come to the surface. Yeah, like a good time or uncut gems. I feel like that is one kind of anxiety, mm-hmm. and this was this was very different. Just because I felt like, like uh, like I said earlier, this feels more grounded in reality a little bit, whereas like uncut gems and good time feel like kind of like hyper realistic a little bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that the whole time you're kind of waiting for as conversations are happening and the stories unraveling in this movie you're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop of like what's going to happen next like is there hope is like is there a light at the end of the tunnel end of the tunnel here um yeah it was yeah anxious is a good word for it but yeah a different kind of anxiety from those other two films and i think it's really you know that use of 
as you talked about the camera from behind the character of Anne or Letterboxd has her as Annie. I'm not sure hmm. why, but we'll, um, we're going to call her Anne. Um, I think it's a good way of creating that memoir. Like if this is based on a memoir, based on a person's like real account of their experience to like create that visually as well without having to like use voiceover and narration to get us inside her mm. thoughts or anything like that, that it uses the visual landscape and the cinematography and the framing and the aspect ratio to create that first person experience um, rather than relying on like non-diegetic sound and narration to like create um, a sense of being in the character's head. And I thought it was really effective because I think it allows us to see the film through her, but because it's not like, it's like we're walking behind her or we're like observing her, but it doesn't try and make us her yeah. because we're not her. Yeah. Right. Although <laughs> yeah. maybe more people will be soon, but yeah, that I, I really like, I really like that. Cause I think that that's, I think that's so true. And that's a good way to describe how I was kind of feeling like, yeah, you don't, you don't need a bunch of, voiceover exp exposition our cats meowing up a storm so <laughs> might make a little cameo here um but yeah i think that that's you're right it was done so well through the cinematography and the composition that it didn't need any of that and what was interesting to me so we went um metro was only playing this like one showing like they often only play a handful of shows so you can't be like you can't say oh i'm not going to see it tonight but I could see it anytime in the next two weeks. Like you mm -hmm. often have to plan ahead. Um, but it was only playing for this one Sunday at 3.30 p.m. There was no there was no second or third showings. And it wasn't a super busy audience, but there were a lot of older women who went by themselves. And it just made me wonder, like, what, what about this movie drew them there? Had like, mm -hmm. a, Did this movie reflect experiences they'd had when they were younger or people they knew did? Um, did they want to see it by themselves so that they could like just take in that experience without having to explain themselves or or censor the way that they were feeling around others? Or is there a secrecy to something that's happened with them? Like it just my mind was going when I when I kind of saw who the audience was, because I think there was like six or seven older women who were there by themselves. Mm. And it made me really reflective and kind of sad. Yeah. Um, but I'm also glad that maybe this movie can be a like connective force, um, which is something that's really interesting about this film. And I read it. I can't remember where I read it, but it might have just been in like some Reddit comments or um, some letterboxed reviews about how, despite the fact that it definitely is 1960s France, the fashion and like kind of the the way that the scenes are set up are done in a way that it does kind of feel timeless and contemporary. Mm. Um so that the fashion is of the 1960s, but also in a way that could be now. Yeah. Um, which I think is an important and clever way to highlight how this is always a looming threat and issue. And like something that was once the important in the 1960s comes back again. And we need to have those conversations again now. Um, which, you know, this came out in 2021, but is obviously so relevant right now, this moment. Yeah so like scary and disappointing that like something like this or like when we watch laying like something that was made a number of years ago or is talking about things from a number of years ago like still has a relevancy today when it's something that's so 
toxic and negative and scary. Um, yeah. And I think that kind of this film wasn't, like you're saying, kind of afraid to shy away from being a little bit, even though it is very clearly set in the 60s in France, that having that a little bit of that timelessness through wardrobe and set dressing and whatnot um, feels intentional. Well, and not drawing attention to like trying to make things be really 1960s. Like it's not really focused on on like where the movie is set. Yeah. The way that like, like it called me by your name is, right? It's like we are in Italy in this year, right? And and the the backdrop of where, where it's set is so relevant to what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously this is in terms of like the political landscape, but because that political landscape can be mapped onto many different times and years, including the year 2022, um, that becomes not so relevant to be like, look at us recreating this time period in this place. And instead there's this evocative timelessness to it in which it's like, you can see this as any place, any time or notice the, the specificity of France in the 1960s, but it's not, not in such a way where it's like, well, I can't see anything but France in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, Something I was reading about that was kind of cool about this is that apparently it won the top prize at the 78th Venice Film Festival. And the award was selected by a jury that was led by Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, I read this too. Who made Parasite. Aww, we love him. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Um, On a more, I mean... This, I'll say it more on a positive note. I think the actress that played Anne is very babely and very good. Yeah, yeah. She was like, I mean, this is her film. Yeah, um, it's she. She does that thing that you know we talked about not that long ago with Ryan Gosling and Drive, where like so much of the film is dialogueless and mm. it relies on her her performance through body language, through facial expression, um, which she does phenomenally mm-hmm. i think uh there are some really you know you use the word visceral some really upsetting uncomfortable moments in this film and yet it's actually your imagination that's putting it together because it's largely focused on her face yeah um and she just does such a she's she's fantastic i you know i'm excited to see what she does next i didn't really recognize anyone in this film i don't know if there were very popular actors in France. Um, I recognize one person from Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, but that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that this is just a, this was a really well executed, really important film. I'm glad that we were able to get out to see it the one time the Metro was mm-hmm. showing it. Um, I'm glad that they put it on. I think it's I think it was important to create a space to go and see see a movie that might be hard to find elsewhere. Yeah, um, no, big time. So. How did this movie make you feel? Um, made me feel sad. It made me feel angry. Um, I had a lot of empathy empathy for the character of of Anne, and it made me feel heavy. Just like the weight of you know seeing something that was happening so long ago, and then seeing so many of these things happening now is just like oh man, like disappointed as well. Yeah. Yeah. How I, about you? I, I felt really tense while I was watching it and then and then uh, that tension kind of continued afterwards when I think about the relevance of it to this day and time that Mm. this isn't something we can look at and be like oh how sad in the 1960s and then you know leave the theater and feel good about our world now 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that that tension, that that simmering tension, kind of stuck with me. Yeah. Um, but I'm really grateful for this movie. I think it's an important movie. I think it handles its subject matter really beautifully, really non-judgmentally, in a way that allows the viewer to have their own experience with it. Mm-hmm. It's a quiet, quiet movie. Yeah. Um, but but nonetheless, like you said, visceral and and heavy and and tense. Um, and yet beautiful at the same time. And I think, um, you know, credit to everyone involved and to Audrey Dewan for like creating this really, this, this, I think this film that like offers a lot. Yeah. To the people who are watching it. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And we went in a very different direction for mm-hmm. the next one. So we were staying at my mom's house this week and we didn't have like the same setup we usually have. And, um, I believe on this night she she had come home. She'd been away for a while, so we had a few nights where we were by ourselves. And then she uh, she had a lot of reality TV to catch up on. So her house is set up in such a way that like the main floor TV and the basement TV, you can't be watching them at the same time, or they'll like the sound will bleed into each other. Um, so we did though manage to watch this on a real TV on couches. Um, after she finished with her shows, we had to kind of share our time. I picked the 2011 movie Attack the Block. Directed and written by Joe Cornish, um, starring John Boyega, a very young John Boyega. As he's yeah. so baby in that, as Moses, Jodie Whittaker as Sam, a whole slew of other people who were great at what they did. Um, and then a kind of special guest appearance by Nick Frost as Ron, which makes sense because Edgar Wright produced the film. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't see his name? No. We were watching too small of a TV. I, just <laughs> I guess didn't notice so. It. And the synopsis is a teen gang in London defend their block from an alien invasion. Beautiful. <laughs> so short and snappy. <laughs> Great synopsis. So what did you think of this movie? Admittedly, when we watched it, I was very sleepy. Yeah, I think we can say that about every movie we watch this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, This movie kind of subverted its expectations that I had for this kind of movie. Like, I kind of thought it was just going to be a bit of a joke, a bit of like a... Mm. like kind of treat it very Shaun of the Dead e mm-hmm. but it's funny to say this because it was actually a lot like Shaun of the Dead in that it does kind of come at it with a lightheartedness and a sense of fun but there is also some emotional beats in here that are really well executed mm-hmm. similar to Shaun of the Dead like we talked about last week I kind of I, I described it as a bit of a more fun version of District 9 <laughs> District 9 is not very fun. I remember really liking that movie. I think we've watched it a couple of times, but it's it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. And um, I'd be interested in... Revisiting it. Yeah, and, yeah. and reading some stuff about South African politics because I'm sure that either is handled well or not. Yeah. I'm sure it's one of the two. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't remember though. really paying attention to, to that discourse when we saw it the first couple of times. Yeah. Um, further to what you just said, though, like I did know that Edgar Wright produced it and i think him and joe cornish are like buddies like i think he's in Shaun of the dead as like a background guy mm, okay. um he might be in all of the cornetto trilogy i could be wrong about that though so i think that they're they're friends um in real life or at least collaborators in real life um and i think you can feel that like edgar wright connection but it doesn't feel like an edgar wright film no like it is definitely its own thing which i think is good and important that it's not just like oh edgar wright 2.0 like it's totally its own thing but you can feel how they could be part of the same like collection yeah. while being separate from each other. Um, I think that there's more emphasis on like characterization and, and politics, honestly, in this, like a political discourse that I don't 
think is really there in Edgar Wright's movies. Not that it has to be. But that seems to be a more significant part of this kind of throughout the film. Like I did something that I thought was really cool about this for me is that the stakes felt really real throughout the entire film. Mm -hmm. Like it felt like at any point our main characters could die. Yeah. Which like sometimes when you watch films, you're like, okay, yeah, like they're plot armor. They're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and the stakes, the threats felt real in those stakes, both from humans and monsters, humans and aliens, right? Like the police are a force in the film that are a threat to our main characters yeah. from beginning to end. And, you know, Joe Cornish plays off of this with the character of Sam, who's a white woman, and then the character, like John Boyega and his gang, who are mostly um, young pe people of color. There's a couple white boys in there, but they're like, you know, young, impoverished people of color. And how the police are a source of protection for Sam and a threat and danger to the boys. Um, yeah. Without that being the main focus of the film, but I think it, uh, I think it's done really um, well and and I don't want to say gently, but very just done well. Um, yeah, like to that too. The police are a threat to our main characters, and the alien invasion is a threat to our main characters. But as soon as the alien invasion piece starts happening our main characters feel really well equipped and ready to take it on. Like they're not scared. They're like, in a way they've kind of already been fighting their whole lives. Mm -hmm. So they've kind of been quote unquote training for this moment to happen. So they're just able to adapt and move into that fight for their home or for, for like their safety or whatever it is. Like they just kind of shift into that. Except they without, actually can now, or they don't have to be careful about what they're doing or what they're saying because they're going to end up in jail. Mm -hmm. They can just fight this force that's against them. It's like all of those like suppressed feelings of rage that they have to tamp down can finally be like released and and, and used, and they they become the protective force mm -hmm. that Sam previously sees the police as. Yeah, right. And and Sam becomes kind of this. I think. I think the view for one kind of view or the lens for one kind of viewer of the film so that her feelings about Moses and his friends, we see those shift through her. Um, and then I think depending on who you are as a viewer, you might see the film through Moses and his friends lens as well. Yeah. Nick Frost's little role is funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just full stop. Yeah. Um, no, I love seeing it here in here it was a surprise and especially because i didn't know edgar wright had anything to do with this so i was like oh the british nick frost <laughs> british um practical they used mostly practical effects done really yeah. well yeah there was like there was a couple moments gave me like a little bit like langoliers vibe but... no when <laughs> <laughs> just like when it got like really cge like cgie with some of the um some of the alien effects Oh, I didn't even notice. Again, we were watching it on a pretty small TV. It was very, it was very few and far between where I noticed. Like, man, we never talked things, about but... those flies in Hereditary. Yeah, that was... I mean, you want to talk Langoliers, <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about, YouTube Langoliers and watch some of the worst CGI you'll ever see in your entire but life. Don't watch the movie. Don't don't watch the whole movie. <laughs> I remember liking it, but I'm sure it's terrible. <laughs> Um, but no, I thought the aliens here, I thought they were really cool and really original. Like the, like kind of, there's a couple of things that they did that I thought were very, very cool and very intimidating and kind of spooky. I liked it. Yeah. There's some, and there's some really good gore in it. Yeah. Yeah. Like more body horror-y gore. Like, 
um, alien zombie gore as opposed to like serial killer gore right mm -hmm. um which was pretty like honestly i thought that was fun like yeah. that like it, it it i think this film does a good job of balancing like characterization uh like background political discourse that you can either read into the film or choose not to read into the film um, because it's done in such a way that it offers you that ability to enjoy that aspect of it or ignore that aspect of it mm -hmm. which uh, like i don't think that's the forefront of this movie and then it's like a fun alien fighting adventure movie mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so how'd this movie make you feel um it made me want to revisit district nine <laughs> <laughs> even though like they are, certainly they are completely different movies with different plots of what's going on but like i thought that this was i i liked that I could have fun with this movie and I liked that it also had a bit of an emotional side to it as well, which made it really enjoyable for me. Um, but yeah, then it just like kind of sparked my memory. I like, I want to watch district nine again. Yeah. It's definitely it's, what the movie wants from you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> make but, you uh, want to watch another movie. But it made me, it, uh, it was fun. It, it was a good time. What did you, how did it make you feel? It just felt, it made me feel like I was along for the ride with them. Like yeah. I was like, you know, part of that group running for my life and, Trying to defend my home. And uh, that was really, it was fun. The yeah. ending, I think, is really important. Can't talk about it. Yeah. I think it did a good job with like group dynamics. Like, yeah. it's such a big group that you're just like, you can feel like when you'd get frustrated with this character <laughs> or be like happy or stoked on another character. It did a great yeah, job. Yeah. For having so many characters, it like kept a pulse on all of them and like kept their personalities like distinct, but within the group dynamic. And that was handled really well. That's not always a strength of like group dynamic movies. So, but I thought it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. And I think they're making an attack the block too. And I will definitely go and see it. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's great. All right. The next movie that we watched this week was one of my picks. We were still at your mom's place, but yeah, we were kind of crammed into the little room we were staying in and we watched this on a laptop, which was even an even smaller screen than we watched <laughs> Attack the Block. I don't think on. I've watched a movie on a laptop. Since you lived there. Probably. <laughs> it, it brought me back to the time that you and I binged almost the entire, was it fourth season of Dexter? Whichever one had the Trinity killer. Yeah. I think whatever season that was, we like hit a point in that season where we were like, oh, we got to keep going. And like you had to work the next day. And yeah. we stayed up to like, I want to say like three or four in the morning, like finishing the season and getting to that. Like if you've seen the Trinity killer season of Dexter, you, you know what we're talking about. This really gut punching. And I think I had to wake up like before six. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wonder work. if you even you probably took a little nap in between. So it brought me back to those times. Um, don't love watching things on a laptop in a bed, no. I'll say. And I think I'd like to rewatch this movie on a real TV sometime. But yes. why don't you tell us what movie it was? It was called The Humans. It was made in 2021. Another A24 bop. Uh, it was directed and written by Stephen Karam, who actually wrote the play for this as well. It was a Broadway play before it was a film. It stars some pretty cool people. Um, <laughs> Richard <laughs> Jenkins as Howard, Jane Howdeshell as uh, Deirdre, or Deirdre, sorry. Um, Amy Schumer as Amy, Beanie Felstein as Bridget, Stephen Young as Richard, and June Squibb as Momo. And that's the whole cast. There's nobody else in this mm -hmm. movie. Um, synopsis for this one. Set inside a pre-war duplex in downtown Manhattan, The Humans follows the course of an evening in which the Blake family gathers to celebrate Thanksgiving. As darkness falls outside the crumbling building, 
mysterious things start to go bump in the night and the family tensions reach a boiling point. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, why I picked this was um, I love, I might've talked about it on the show before. Uh, I love that because this was a play first, it's a very contained story. And mm-hmm. I got that from the trailer that we're kind of in just one central location and it's just a lot of people interacting and talking and things kind of unfolding over the course of uh, one like small set of time. We're not going like a bunch of days in a row. Like I, I really love how contained that is. Um, and I like a lot of the cast. Like I really like Richard Jenkins when he does more dramatic things. Um, I like Beanie Feldstein and Stephen Young, of course. Wow, wow. Could, uh, Amy Schumer, but she did a good job. She did a great job here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what do you think of the humans? So I know you and I both said this afterwards and then I went online and saw that like everybody said this. So this isn't a um, unique thought, but no, it is not a hot take. But it felt like a horror movie without being a horror movie. Yeah. Like just the the way that it's shot, which I found really evocative. And I know like some people who don't like this movie, they're like, I was like watching paint dry. Um. That's my impression of those people. Um, the way that it's shot just like evokes the tension of a horror film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like looking at care, like we're the eye of the camera is like down a hallway looking through a half opened door where people in the conversation are on the ha- the part of the wall we can't see. So you can't see everybody in it. Um, it feels like you're a person who is listening, eavesdropping on the conversation. And I think the film balances this, these like moments where we're invited into the conversation by the scene being like fully open and then switching into these moments where we are not actually invited into the conversation and we are eavesdropping on the conversation by shooting it through these open doorways, these long hallways around corners where we like the people talking are obscured. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really curious if that is something that's that was created for the film or how that's done on the stage. Yeah. If at all, um, especially because Stephen Crumb did both. I'm curious if he just decided to like explore something new by taking it to the medium of film, or if this is a feeling that's there in the stage play as well. Cause I just don't know necessarily how you would um, create that sense of like, it feels so tight yeah. and the set itself feels like a maze like i'd be like whoa what, like where is that in this house or like where'd that long hallway come from and it you know we see these characters in different configurations moving around the house talking in whispers you know coming in and out of conversations and people bring hearing things that they shouldn't have heard and like yeah it just it had this like slow contemplativeness but that was tense in the way that a horror film is tense without it ever being a horror movie well yeah it is a lot spookier than i expected it to be because of all those reasons and like there's there's full-on jump scares in here too (laughs) like tons of them just Um, like loud noises all of a sudden yeah like yeah but the like the kind of vibe and the feel that i was kind of getting is like kind of that like lynchian slow burn Mm -hmm. like where it's just a normal like daylit scene but you're just feeling uncomfortable and it's just like what why do i feel this way like Mm -hmm. what's going on here that i'm feeling that way and while I don't like that, I really love that. <laughs> <laughs> the the don't like, really like uh, paradox. Yeah. Something I thought that this movie really nailed were were um, family dynamics. Yeah. And and the brutality of family. Brutality is a good word for that. Because like, again, it's focused around this family getting together in this uh, in this new home 
for one of the children uh, around Thanksgiving. And, you know, when you kind of get multiple generations and people with different backgrounds or like different different ways of approaching the world as you get turn into adults, when you all get together, just your perspectives, your beliefs, your values, whatever it is, can very easily start to clash. And there's just like, there's a, there's an art to passive aggression (laughs) in this movie that I feel like very much speaks to real life. Yeah. I think probably at least from what I could speak to is like the, the North American Western nuclear family Mm -hmm. dynamic. Yeah. Um, which I don't necessarily think exists in all all families the world over. Mm-hmm. But oh man, does passive aggression run deep in a lot of white middle class North American families? And it, it like it goes, it goes just like straight into aggression. And in, in <laughs> yeah, some of the words that are said to each other in this movie is just like whoa. I mean, you know, to use a word that we used with the happening, there's a simmering nature to this film mm-hmm. too. Um, you know, this this movie made me think about how it's so easy to simultaneously deeply hate and deeply love our closest family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, it's, I, I passive aggression was like a big thing that was on my mind in this too and how insidiously dangerous it is. Yeah. Um, and how hard our habits are to break. So to like speak to what you said about you know, this film really explores what it's like to come together as a family when when you don't live in the same home anymore and like everyone's adults and they've come back together and you it's like you're walking on ice that isn't fully frozen, trying to make it to the other side without mm-hmm. falling through. Um and you're you're just trying to tread so carefully. And then there are moments where you just you're sick of treading carefully and you slam your foot down too hard. And if you slam it too hard, you're gonna fall through the ice. Love that. You know, I just came up with that right now. <laughs> well, it wasn't even great. in my notes. That's great. Love that. <laughs> but it just, you know, it had that feeling. And I think a lot of people, for at least myself, can relate to that feeling of like being at a family gathering and being like, do I hold my tongue? Mm-hmm. Or do I like get a jab in that shows that I'm not happy with what was said, but without like turning the heat too high on this boiling, the simmering pot? Yeah. Um, or do I just like let the pot boil over? You know, like what do you what do you do? And the, and the film kind of explores all of that, right? Um, and I think it's particularly relatable to people who have come back into their homes, where it's you've you've both got that that family dynamic that has been born and bred through like generations, and that like only the people who live in that who lived in a house growing up together know the intricate dynamics of all of the people and their personalities and all of that. But you're also bringing into it your new dynamics and your new ways of seeing things. And that is handled so beautifully and encapsulated through Stephen Yen's character. Yes. He's that outsider who like doesn't fully know all of the dynamics and yet sees them um, and tries to like wedge himself into moments that he sees as unfair. Um, There was a moment in here where he he says something like, you know, you guys should be nicer to your mom or something like that. Yeah. That reminded me of things you've said to me. Mm-hmm. Where you've been like, you guys should really help your mom out more, <laughs> you know? And it's like, well, yeah, you're probably right. But this is also just the dynamic we've always had, you know? And so he does that both for like, he calls out, he, Beanie Feldstein, her character, uh, Bridget, he calls her out lovingly of like, hey, I see you acting this way with your family. And like, maybe you want to reevaluate that. But then he also tries to step in and protect her when he sees the dynamic hurting his partner. 
mm-hmm. right? Where he sees like, you know what? Like you don't even understand how the things you say affect her once you leave the room. And he, and I think that there, what I've seen online is that in every version of this play, the main cast is white and Rich is played by a person of color. Mm. That's got to be intentional. Yeah, I would think so. And Stephen Karam, um, the playwright, is a Lebanese American. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I wonder if he sees himself in the character of Rich more than the other characters or, or like what his intentions were kind of with creating that particular dynamic and, and always ensuring that it's cast in this particular way. Yeah. Uh, I, I, would, I would believe that that's, that's true because I, I feel like there's that aspect of it and there's just like the aspect of being somebody like me, you bringing me to a family get together where it's just your family and just me there, like just being an outsider in like, you know, especially when we first started dating, starting to recognize what your dynamic was as a family. And even as over the course of us being together, that's evolved and changed so much. The, the family dynamics that exist within your family mm-hmm. and how I fit into that and how the communication works and how I can communicate with your mom as opposed to either of your sisters, to your brother, like, there's just like this navigation that you do as you become part of a family that isn't your the family you're born into and how yeah how it affects like what takeaways you have or how it affects you when when we leave the room or when they leave the room and yeah there there's a lot in in that character of rich that i felt like i could relate to and that mm-hmm. i actually kind of see in some of your um your siblings' partners as well when when they're at family gatherings um, and their their responses to things. Well, I'm sure that's intensified and highlighted by the fact that we were like staying at my mom's house yeah, while we're time. watching this. I mean, there was this there was kind of an interesting thing going on when we stayed with my mom, where I'm like, you know, being back in this house. It's not the house I grew up in, but it is a house I lived in um, for a couple of years, and you spent a lot of time in um, for those couple of years because we were together. It was early in our relationship, start of our relationship, actually. Um, where it's hard not to default to like the thoughts, feelings, dynamics, ways of acting that I had when I was there. But, you know, my mom and me are different people than we were over 10 years ago. And our relationship is different than it was two years ago. And there was a really funny moment when um, we were we were heading out to go do something. And I said to my mom, like, I think we'll be back around 9.30. And she's like, come back whenever you want. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's weird. But like, I'm staying at your house. She's like, yeah, whatever. Just come home when you want. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just such a strange, like it was just instinctual for me to be like, hey, I'm going to tell you where I am, where I'm going when I'm coming back. <laughs> and she was like, you're an adult. I'm, you're just staying here for a while. Do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this film really captures that incredibly well. These just like habits that like are hard to break, these dynamics that like run deep um, and that even as they shift and change, the smallest thing can trigger them again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's a really lonely movie. Yeah. Like they're all in this house together and they're all spending time together and yet each character feels so isolated. Yeah, and you get like those kind of quiet moments and like it does a really good job of kind of capturing the point of view of each character mm-hmm. throughout the movie at different times. Yeah, I don't think there's a central protagonist in this. Yeah. It's the family and the dynamic that's the focus rather than a, yeah. any one particular character. I agree. And it really, really gets like full ratchet horror near the end, even though it's never a horror movie and it's not scary. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it it's... really goes full horror movie at the end without ever being a horror movie. No, yeah, it's great. It's such a control over tone and genre, I feel, mm-hmm. within this. Yeah, so like I... 
I really enjoyed watching this. I think it would have been a good one to see in the theater. And I'm not sure if it got a theatrical run or not. I know that Metro played it. Did they? I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised. And I and I wanted to go see it, but you know, life. Yeah. Sometimes we there's double feature we really want to go do tonight, and I don't know if it'll happen. Yeah. I always intend to go see movies and then I'm like, oh, I don't know. Um but yeah, I did. I I would like to watch it again on a on a real TV with like good sound and not um, in a tiny bedroom on a laptop with me, the cat, and a litter box. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was still really um, engaging and captivating within that. I, I was actually doing, um, we just took a, a short break ourselves um, and then came back. And I was doing a little bit of research on uh, Stephen Karam that I usually would do ahead of time, but have been a little sloppy in the last couple of weeks and hope to no longer be sloppy moving forward. Um, just because of how busy we've been. Um, and he's actually Lebanese-Irish. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the film, you know, is is looking at that Irish side of his family with the uh, the Blake family. Um, and then, then then we've got that character of Rich who has um, been played by various different uh, people of color. Like it's not always a, an Asian actor or, you know, that part hasn't been specified around. They have to be a particular ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, I, I I am interested in reading some more and maybe watching some interviews with Stephen Karam and hearing a little bit about the like stage to uh, film adaptation. There was a, a bit at the very, very end that I'm like, oh, I can see how they would have done this on the stage. Yeah. And I'm like, it would have been really cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're recreating the stage moment on film. But for the most part, this didn't feel like they were just trying to create a stage play on the film. No. Yeah. Like I felt like. They were like, and you've already kind of spoken spoken to this a little bit, but yeah, they just had through being able to capture and um, to be able to capture this through film, then they can explore spaces and have those more intimate moments because they can spread out the characters more than they could on a stage mm-hmm. and and almost make the setting a character in itself, um, which is which which works really well here. Um, and we've also, we kind of alluded to it before too, but everybody in this movie is really, really great. I was really most surprised with, by, um, Amy Schumer, who, like you said, like I'm not a particularly big fan of Amy Schumer, but seeing her do something that was a little bit more grounded and more dramatic was, I didn't know what to expect going in, but I was actually like pretty surprised. I think you and I have talked about this before, but on the show, but I'm a big sucker for the comedian playing a non-comedic role like yeah love robin williams in um, world's greatest dad i you know i like jim carrey and eternal sunshine and the spotless mind although i haven't seen that in a really long time really like will ferrell and stranger than fiction mm-hmm. um so yes it was cool to see her do something a little bit different than i mean all i really know her from is hosting the oscars and train wreck <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. how this movie make you feel it made me feel frustrated at how humans hurt each other without meaning to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it made me feel sad for the cycles that are so hard to break. Yeah. Yeah. That's well put. Yeah. Uh, to add to that, I felt unsettled throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing. That, that, vi- that Lynchian slow burn got me. A lot of things we talked about, like just those dynamics, especially when you're getting like family and family that now lives in different households. And have grown in different directions. I could relate to that and mm-hmm. my experiences with that. There's yeah, and there's like a little bit that of that anxiety here as well. And 
um, yeah, it just, I was, and I just got upset at certain aspects of some of this stuff. Like there was some very audible, like, whoa, mm-hmm. from me in this movie. Um, and, and from you, one point two, you're like, if they do this right now, I am out of here. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to that effect. It made me laugh. Yeah. Okay. The last movie that we went, went to see, this was a more anticipated movie of ours. We've been mm-hmm. wanting to see it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a new release this weekend. It's the movie Men. came out this year, 2022. It was directed and written by Alex Garland and stars Jesse Buckley as Harper, Rory Kinnear as Jeffrey amongst many characters, and uh, Papa Isidu, um, Isidu sorry, uh, who plays James. And... Gail Rankin, who plays Riley. Synopsis for this one. Um, In the aftermath of a personal tragedy, Harper retreats alone to the beautiful English countryside, hoping to find a place to heal. But someone or something from the surrounding woods appears to be stalking her. What begins as simmering dread becomes a full, fully formed nightmare inhabited by her darkest memories and fears. FD synopsis. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we want... we wanted to see this for some time and we we like alex garland we don't necessarily love his stuff so he did ex machina which i thought i remember thinking was really great that's it's another one that i remember liking but it not sticking with me and and i've heard a lot of people say it's one of their favorite movies of all time and i'm like what about it (laughs) like i didn't i liked it i mean and that was it yeah and Um, like annihilation i liked it and that was it and but he wrote one of our favorite horror movies of all 28 days later Slam so dunk. Yeah. Uh, he also wrote Sunshine. Yeah. Which you really like. I really like that. And he also is like, I think he's a showrunner on oh, that devs. movie. De- or that show. <laughs> that show devs. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Um, Me neither. But uh, like I said, we like his stuff. But yeah, it's like, we don't love it necessarily. Like it doesn't, it doesn't stick with us in a way that's like, oh, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what'd you think of men? So it was an experience. Yeah. It's an, it's, it's an experience. I think we should start at like the crowd at the theater. Yeah. So there's a particular, we've talked about this before, actually. We talked about it with the Northmen. There are particular kinds of movies that um, it's almost like they're meant to alienate a crowd. Right. Which yes. is hard when you <laughs> don't want to feel that way. <laughs> yeah. um, I could very much feel that the audience didn't like the movie. Yeah. Through the entire thing. Yeah. As time went on, like it they the audience vibe was making me feel more anxious than the movie was because mm-hmm. i was just like oh, okay when's the shoe gonna drop here this movie is so much more quiet than i expected it to be and <laughs> yeah. we were in the recliner seat theater so you'd all of a sudden just hear mm-hmm. very that's how you okay for me this is how you knew how shifty the crowd was because they were just adjusting their seats the whole time yeah you just hear pockets of it throughout the whole movie and it doesn't <laughs> it's so funny like we showed up and I, I didn't expect this movie to be as quiet as it was and we got nachos and popcorn <laughs> and i felt like we couldn't eat any of it because both were so loud given how quiet this movie yeah was. and considering the crap we've said about people being loud with snacks uh can't be hypocritical yeah a certain point, I just gave up and I was like, I'm eating these nachos. I didn't have dinner today. I was at a graduation all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we had one walkout, which was which needed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It was like one parent and two kids. Or an uncle that realized they were going to get in really big trouble. Yeah. They're like, oh, this isn't Sonic the Hedgehog 2. 
<laughs> Can you Whoops. imagine? Um, they definitely walked out. I I believe we were trying to figure out, um, trying to remember at what point in the movie they walked out. Can't remember. It's like, how old do you think those kids were? Oh, like, I feel like maybe pre preteen. Like one of them might have been as young as like ten. Yeah. Oh, pre preteen. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah that's that's <laughs> just a weird way to say that. No, it isn't. Pre preteen. Everybody says that. <laughs> um, the other funny thing with just the theater experiences. We stayed till the end of the credits, as we do, and then we were the last ones out of the theater. And there was a couple of employees that asked us how, how, how was the movie, and 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 you responded to them. You're just like, it's it's something, it's it's wild. And then like as we're rounding the corner, they're like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> All they need to do is start clean, like. You know how sometimes people who are cleaning the film, I think you used to do this when you worked at the movie theater, just like come and hang out for the last 20 minutes and watch the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's all they need to do. Yeah. Just watch the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, but uh, yeah, get into your thoughts on this one. So the way that we just talked about the humans as being a non-horror movie that felt like a horror movie, this was a horror movie that didn't feel like a horror movie. Yeah. It was almost the inverse of that where I was like, I expected this to be um, so much more tense throughout it i actually didn't it didn't feel that tense to me no like what i kind of wrote down here was like it was actually kind of calming while i was still waiting for the other shoe to drop Mm -hmm. but it was like it was calming and kind of serene throughout it and i wonder if that was the intention or if like we didn't get what alex garland wanted us to get i mean i could so here's the interesting thing about this movie this movie is so so divisive yes like this is like a anywhere you go, people are giving it like five out of five and people are giving it one out of five. Yeah. In the same breath. Like it's it's not a middling movie. It's a love it or hate it movie, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, or people who are giving it middling reviews, it's because there's something they hate and something they love about it. It's not because they find it to be a middling movie. It's like, well, I loved this, but I hated this. So I guess I'll give it a three out of five. Yeah. Um, and as I've been reading critiques of it, I'll read one that absolutely slams it and I'll be like, yeah. It's terrible. And then I'll read another one that talks about how great it is. And I'll be like, yeah, it's great. It's like, like I can't even make up my mind about how I feel about it. Like, yeah. I just, it's definitely not my favorite thing I've ever seen. No. Um, it's not my favorite thing of Alex Garland's that I've seen. It's probably my least favorite thing of Alex Garland's. Yeah. Of the three movies we've seen of his, Ex Machina, Annihilation, and this, this is number three. Yeah, I would agree um beautiful to look at though well man (laughs) kind of (laughs) Um, no 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 it totally is like it's visually stunning there was one particular scene that i want to talk about that's certainly not spoilery but um there's a lot of shots of nature mm -hmm. throughout this and we're kind of in like old english countries so there's a lot of like rolling hills and forests Mm -hmm. and and ponds and rivers but there's this one shot that's focused on um like a pond or like a piece like a piece of water and it's focused down on it, kind of looking at the reflections of the trees. And then there's a ripple that starts mm-hmm. and then it intensifies and intensifies. So like it creates this really weird kind of visual vibration within the water that I don't know. It just kind of it, it builds to like what the next scene is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that was really it's something we've like we've all seen and it's so familiar, but it did a really great job of kind of escalating things very subtly into the next scene. And I just, that was one, that was one particular moment in this movie where I was like, 
oh, okay. Like, he, he knows what he's doing here. Can I say something kind of mean to Alex Garland? Okay. Maybe you need to let other people write your movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, like, he's, I feel like he's a really stunning visual filmmaker. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that his, like, thematic stuff lands, at least for me. Like, I was, as I was reading some critiques of this film, I was reading some stuff where people are like, yeah, like, Ex Machina could have explored so many really interesting things about, like, the body and gender and, like, you know, and not that all movies have to do these things, but especially when you're going under the banner of A24, there tends to be this, like, assumption of, like, there will be more to the movie than just a movie experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and his films kind of always have that, uh, you know, like, I love 28 Days Later, but I d- it's not a perfect movie. No. And certainly not perfect in its writing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, sometimes I find the third act of that pretty rushed. Mm. Um, and it kind of, like, turns into a... um. It, it there's like two different movies happening in 28 days later and I'm here for both of them. So it doesn't bother me, but I, yeah, I could see a person being like, well, that took a turn. Um, yeah. Anyway, not, not important. We're not talking about 28 days later. Um, but but all, it, like all of his movies, like, sorry, no, finish your thought, finish your thought. Well, it just makes me think of, you know, conversations I've heard around your ghost Lanthimos and how people find his strongest movie to be the favorite. Interestingly, that's probably my least favorite of his movies. Yeah, I agree. But I do think that it may be some of the strongest writing, mm-hmm. and he didn't write it. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly think The Favorite is his most accessible movie. Oh, yeah, I was going to say. Um, I actually think my favorite is Killing of a Sacred Deer. But Yeah, I agree. I'd like to revisit The Lobster. Me too, because we saw it a long time ago, and the person we saw it with hated it. Yeah. And that um, kind of, that was the first thing that was said when the movie was done and you know you don't want to be like oh well let me tell you all about how you're wrong that you hated this movie and why it made you uncomfortable um because it certainly was an uncomfortable movie but Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i'm i would be interested to see so we've seen movies not directed by alex garland but written by them and then we've seen him write and direct movies i would be interested to see him direct something he didn't write well would that be annihilation or did he was he like well i think he wrote the screenplay for it but it's based on a book and it's nothing like the book the book is phenomenal the movie's fine well it's really interesting because he seems to really gravitate to writing about women in traumatic yeah like having traumatic experiences critique that i've read of him is that while he does that, the women themselves seem to be kind of ciphers. Like they don't, they aren't really characters. Mm. And when you think about this film, it begins with Harper's trauma. Mm-hmm. And that's all she is. Right. We never get any sense of who that character is outside of a person living in trauma. Right. I'd say the closest that we get to glimmers of that are like the interaction she has with her friend Riley mm-hmm. when she talks with her on the phone throughout this movie. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. But then I'll read something else where I'm like, because it's meant to be abstract and representative, and I'm like convinced by that. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm on this <laughs> yeah. seesaw of being like, oh yes, it's brilliant. Oh no, it's just hack, Sig- virtue signaling. Like I can't, I can't make up my mind. Yeah, like my my mind is melted over this one still, and I'm still like searching for like larger allegories and metaphors throughout this thing. Like there, there was some that we talked about right out of the, right out of the theater. Um, there's a lot of biblical things going on. Mm-hmm. And biblical stuff is typically pretty lost on me. Um, there's definitely an apple and I definitely, and there's a garden and I definitely get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is something I, I know what that means. Um, but I didn't, I don't know if there's any grander use of biblical 
imagery and illusion here that I'm just missing because I'm not super um, well versed in that. Um, yeah, I mean, like that, I pick up on it a little bit faster because you went to the Catholic school. I went to Catholic school. wasn't a Catholic. It was a proximity thing to my house, but I learned a lot going through the Catholic system of <laughs> just like kind of background of like just a lot of like religious stuff when yeah. as it relates to Catholicism. So I picked up on that a little bit quicker. But yeah, like so that is like kind of like the the low hanging fruit, no pun intended, mm. uh, on that. But yeah, like I feel like there's just some other things about like society and gender dynamics, things like that. But I still like again, my mind is melted when it comes to this movie. So I haven't fully like fleshed that out. And like you said, everything on the internet is so divisive about this. So mm-hmm. trying to kind of parse all of that out and and find something concrete is damn near impossible um but something i did want to say i mean the acting in this is is so good mm-hmm. and i feel like i feel like jesse buckley wants to be in my favorite thing and <laughs> i feel like jesse buckley would be in many of my favorite things had i seen her movies um, when you were in high school, when I was in high school, <laughs> totally. Like I'm thinking, I'm thinking uh, of ending things. Is I mean, that- yeah, I'm thinking of ending things was such a disappointment to me. Wonderfully made, atmospheric. Everyone did a great job, but I did not like what that movie was saying. Was it? I mean, David Thewlis was awesome in that. Was it Tony Collette? Yeah, it was. Yeah, oh, man. No, everyone in it came to play, and it was beautifully shot. It was everything about it, like, was great. But I just I found what it was trying to say really hollow and actually was a real like turnoff for me about the movie, um, which was a real disappointment because I was like, oh, this is going to be one of my favorite things ever. And like, I didn't feel that way about this. No. But there are are, um, glimmers of that in the way I felt about this. And I'm like, so is Jesse Buckley just going to be in things that I'm so excited for? And then they kind of let me down. (laughs) Yeah. She's great at what she does. Oh, yeah. She was fantastic in both of those things. I just want her to be in one of my favorite movies. In a movie directed by a woman. Yes. That'd be great. (laughs) In a movie about women's things directed by a woman <laughs> yeah <laughs> written by a woman um maybe she should write and direct something yeah why not um rory kinnear was also really good in this holy moly and like he had a lot to a lot to do i mean it's in the trailer but uh the the village that harper is in rory kinnear plays all of the men in this village mm-hmm. and it's never addressed that it's the same guy but no. it's just him different iterations of him in, that looks slightly in, different with prosthetics, with visual manipulation and things like that. And and to that point, and I think Alex Garland does this really well. Like it's in Ex Machina, it's in Annihilation, um, his use of the uncanny. Yeah. So to the point, like, you know, where you're just like, it just feels off. There's just something about this that feels off. Yeah. Right. And he does that so well to create this unsettling environment. Um, I do, however, personally think this would have been more effective if withheld from the trailer. I agree. Um, yeah. Thinking about that now, like, I wonder if anybody like went into this movie being like, what? Like, is this the same guy? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I don't know. Marketing choices. It's always an interesting thing where I guess I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the it hasn't gotten a super wide release either. Right. Like it's yeah. it's not in every Cineplex theater right now. Like it was hard to find a showtime um it's not playing at the landmark closest to us so i mean i guess maybe they felt they needed to show some of that to to get people to come and see it um i guess so and the trailer's good i like the trailers might be one of those experiences where i like the trailer more than the movie 
Which isn't to say I disliked the movie. No, I like that's the thing is like, I think we both walked out of it and we're like, I don't know if I'll necessarily watch that again, but I'm glad that I've seen it. But I also do wonder if it's the kind of film that I would like more upon seeing it or less upon seeing it. I don't think I would stay the same. I think I would either be like, oh, I'm seeing things here that actually sh- show more subtly than I initially, th- subtlety than I initially thought, or this is more hammy and heavy, heavy handed than I initially thought. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I will say the last like 20-ish minutes is pretty fun. Oh, yeah. Like had some of the best um, visual stuff. Not for everyone. No. Some people are going to really, really dislike it. And I am so glad those kids left the theater before this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was unlike anything I've ever seen on film. Mm-hmm. Real well done. Yeah. Liked it a lot. Some really, and yeah, just some really great like horror sequences throughout that are really good. Um, a couple a, or something I, I wanted to when I was kind of looking into this. So Papa uh, Du, who plays James. Do you know what he's from? He was familiar to me, but I don't know what he's from. So like same with me. I was just like, what is he from? He's from I May Destroy You. Oh, very different character. He's her, her yeah. buddy in that? Yeah. Oh, I May Destroy You is better than men. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you know what is interesting? I actually had this thought post watching men that I was like, I just like I May Destroy You better. And maybe I'll bring that up on the show because but I'm like, oh, that's funny. There's just something about like, bo- like they're not the same thing at all. No. And yet both of them are exploring the feeling of being a woman. Um, of course, and I may destroy you. I think being a black woman is is central to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, based on Michaela Cole's um, experiences. I may destroy you is so good. Mm-hmm. And then you you stack these up next to each other and I may destroy you just blows men out of the water. Yeah. Um, without having to be like, I don't want to be mean and say it's gimmicky, but you know, like the title, it's like with the title and with, you know, how it was marketed, it's, it's daring you to dislike it. Yeah. Um, it's like being like, Hey, here's my chest all puffed up. Come at me. (laughs) Um, And, and I didn't, I did not dislike it. Um, I thought there was some really cool stuff in it. I thought a lot of it was, um, made lesser by the trailer. Cause I, there were moments where I'm like, okay, when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Right. And there weren't so many moments outside of those moments from the trailer to make up for having already seen those in the trailer. Although that last sequence is um worth the wait. Worth the wait for sure. <laughs> Especially if, if you like gross, just bizarre things that make you feel super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth seeing it for that. But it is certainly, certainly, certainly not for everyone. It's getting me primed for Crimes of the Future, oh. the new Cronenberg movie. <laughs> I have that's a feeling out. that Crimes of the Future is going to be this times 20 million. Yeah, I'm ready for it. I'm here for it. I want to say something else kind of mean um, to Alex Garland. I'm sorry, Alex Garland. I don't dislike you. I don't even know you. Oh, Kylie's coming um, for you. <laughs> but this movie kind of felt like the inverse of Midsommar to me. Hmm. Explain. So in this movie, Harper is nothing. She's nothing. I don't I don't feel empathy for her. She's this cipherless or she's this cipher, not cipherless. She's just this blank character for people to project themselves onto. She feels more like a black mirror character, like a one-off 
TV episode Twilight Zone character yeah. than like somebody that I know and care about and 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 want to get to know. Whereas um, Danny, that's her name in Midsommar, right? Yes. Danny is, I feel for Danny in Midsommar. Mm-hmm. And there's there's legwork done up front to establish the dynamic between Danny and I can't remember her boyfriend's name. Um, and, you know, there's legwork for us to understand her trauma and, and the background behind that trauma without taking too long. Like, I feel like that's handled really well. Um, both of them are about the interactions between men and women, I feel like, and how trauma you know, pivots on that dynamic. Mm. Um, But Midsummer just has so much more to say to me. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I just feel like these are inverses of each other. Where like, there's a nihilism to men that Midsummer subverts, I guess, or like goes in a different direction with. And yet they're both about these women who have experienced trauma and go into another place. Mm. Um, to try and cope with the aftermath of their trauma and then have this like experience with these other people in this place. And I like Midsommar better. I love Midsommar. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of thinking about like the beginning, the middle and the end of this movie and like just her kind of. Follows a similar arc, but Midsommar imbues Danny with humanity with somebody that I can empathize with, with somebody that I'm rooting for. Mm-hmm. I don't know that at any point in the movie I was rooting for Harper. Like, I don't know what I wanted for her throughout yeah. the movie. Do you? Were you rooting for her? Did you, like, like what What were we, what was Harper trying to accomplish and what, what did we want for her? I don't even feel like that's made clear. Yeah, that's a good point. But then I read these, you know, reviews or critiques or conversations about the film where they say that is the point. Because it's 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 meant to be a reflection of life as opposed to a singular experience. But when you go so broad, do you lose something in the process? Is there something about the specificity of a particular situation that actually can be more relatable than trying to be so broad that you can relate to everybody and thus relate to nobody? Yeah. Maybe maybe for us, like you and me. Yeah. Um, just because, yeah, like I think that I'm rooting for her in that she is the protagonist of this movie and I want, you know, I want good things for her by the end of this movie. But yeah, it's gone. Like I, I, I think this is where I lean more Midsommar than I would lean men just because of the characterization that happens. I feel like it's kind of like the plot. What, what is, what is it? It's plot or, the comparison you always make, you don't like plot-driven movies. Oh, emotion-based? Yeah, like, I, I like when the work is put in to have me, allow me to have an emotional connection with our protagonist or our characters. And yeah, the, the, this is like... And yet with men, it's not very, very, really plot-based either. I think like, it's idea-based. Yeah. And yet I don't know that those ideas are ever totally coherent. Yeah, yeah. Which I, which very well may be the point. Yeah, I get it. Like I get that. I, if that's the intention, I get why mm-hmm. that that's there. But I think for you and I, that's just like not our jam, mm-hmm. not our favorite thing when it comes to the following a character in a in a movie mm-hmm. or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. 
it, I was going to say to you about Rory Kinnear, who does a great job. Oh, well, every so everything about this is done well. Yeah, it just didn't all it like we said with um, I'm thinking about any things. It just didn't come together thematically for me in a way that was interesting or satisfying. But Jesse Buckley's great. Rory Kinnear is great. Cinematography is great. Sound design's great. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's so funny watching Rory Kinnear on Our Flag Means Death <laughs> right now, which is which has been great. We're almost done the first season, but yeah, it's just like yeah, it it was it was kind of cool seeing him like do his thing here. And I imagine as an actor, like getting to play multiple different characters is probably a challenge, but also fun, especially mm-hmm. in kind of like a pseudo horror science fiction kind of thing. Yeah, there are some like. That I I could just watch like the last 20, 30 minutes of the movie and be really satisfied because there are some great sequences, great horror sequences, great um, body horror, like just some really, really great stuff in there. And Roy Kinnear is great in that section. I agree. It's funny you say that because I feel like most of what I've been reading online is like that's where people check out. Like that's where they're like, forget (laughs) it. That's where I was like, punch this ticket. I'm on the ride. (laughs) Just to like, uh, kind of Hunter Thompson there, um, namesake of our cat. Yeah. Um. So, how did men make you feel? It made me feel pretty icky and gross, and mm. a little bit unsure. I'm really glad I saw it. I liked the experience of watching it, but I don't think I loved the movie. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. But and like, I think my takeaway, and you kind of hinted at it, just with all of Alex Garland's work and his approach to it. There's just. It made me feel a haunting discomfort. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of the vibe that I take through the entirety of his movies usually. And he just has a kind of aesthetic and a style that he brings to the writing, the directing of his films. And that's what it left me feeling is a bit of a haunting discomfort is what I'll say. Well said. Thanks. All right. Let's get to that time. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk about some bad dads and rad dads. Yeah, Who's your bad dad nominee for the week? My bad dad nominee for the week is Rory Kinnear as men. <laughs> nice. Nice, nice, nice. Tell me why. Come on. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just insipidly dangerous. He's all the things you could ever not want in a dad or a man, and yet all of the things that many men and dads are. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of the things I can't say because they would be spoilers. But if you've seen the movie, like, come on, you get it. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I think that that's that's great. Um, mine definitely leans more towards the dad as an energy, not and more of the dad energy as opposed to the gender in this one. Where I'm just saying, uh, French politics in the 1960s. <laughs> in <laughs> Why did we ever say we could get that abstract <laughs> in happening? Um, uh, yeah, that is. Some bad dad energy indeed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Turns out you don't even have to be a character. You can be a concept. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's toxic. It's dangerous. It governs people's bodies. Like, yuck. Free off. <laughs> like, you're 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 gross. I don't want you around. Okay, I agree with you, but like Rory Kinnear's men. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on. All right. I knew that it might be a losing battle, but like, come on. That's, that's awful. I but. feel like we are opening a whole can of worms if we allow energy <laughs> to expand that significantly. <laughs> so while I hear you and I um, see you and I validate you and I agree with you, 
I will not cast my vote in that direction. Okay. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm willing to Oh yeah. I'm will I'm willing to give Roy Kinnear the uh the, the what do you get? Not a trophy. The, the stamp title? of bad dad disapproval. The the stink eye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm I'm there for it. Okay, Rory Kinnear as men. Stick, Stick it. it. Don't be our dad. I think you are everybody's dad, but <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Who's your rad dad, Nam? You want me to tell you first too? Yes, please. Okay, uh it is Stephen Ian as Rich. Nice. Nice, nice. How come? Um he is kind, he is supportive, vulnerable. There's this really beautiful scene. Um, with his character where he like speaks about his own uh, experiences with depression um, and it's really really beautifully um, given performed by Stephen Yen um, he speaks up but in a way that's you know not angry or vindictive that's meant to be a mending force mm-hmm. um, it just yeah I feel like Rich would be a really good dad yeah I get that I picked Riley played by Gail Rankin from Men <laughs> That's some real Molly energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> real Jojo T. Gibbs. Yeah, um, yeah. I just felt like through the very like we don't we don't get a lot of her character throughout the movie, but like she's somebody that is very clearly there for her friend and has listened to what her friend wants, needs, understands what's going on. So uh, in that way, she's supportive and understanding and willing to you know make sacrifices to be there for her friend um, and to, you know, kind of kind of be that sounding board that her friend needs who's, you know, going through a tough time or going through trauma. So, But think of the richness, nice. <laughs> richness of Rich in that he's, um, he's that force for like not just his partner Bridget, but for like kind of everybody in the household where he has that sense of... Um, like you can lean on me and I will hear you. And like he's thoughtful with like what he says and how he says it. Um see, yeah, Rich was kind of he he was up there for me too. And what made him what knocked him down to second place for me was that it seems like kind of as soon as and I, I recognize that this is probably a trait in myself as well, is that like when things start kind of getting uh, start having more friction or a little bit more um, have a little bit more confrontation is when he starts to kind of check out a little bit is when he kind of like disappears. He's only human. Oh, nice. Because of the movie, <laughs> <laughs> the humans. Um, you know, to roll today. <laughs> I am. I am fantastic. Um, so that was the only like, reason that knocked me back. But I think like maybe on the whole, just because we get, Rich is so much more fleshed out. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm saying he's only human. Like, I don't think we should expect from the dads we collect or have that they be perfect. Yeah. And in fact, I think when we hear Rich's story, we see that he's somebody committed to, like, growth and reflection and, you know, that he might reflect on those moments where he kind of pulled back and be like, I'm not going to do that next time. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I get what you're saying with the character of Riley and how she's protective and supportive. But I mean, if I even think of her compared to the character of Molly in fresh, she's so hollow. Like um, Molly, I mean, and Molly is that side character for sure that we've seen before, 
But there's Molly is more fleshed out than Riley is. She is literally a character on a screen. Yeah, I think. Um, I just don't want to give it to that. Yeah, I think much like we were talking about with um, Riley's counterparts in men, it's yeah, it's hollow. It's not as fleshed out, and we don't we don't we don't get a lot there. So for that reason, I think you're getting the queen sweep this week. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> a little bit of good mythical morning language for you there. <laughs> the <queen laughs> not a sponsor. Sweep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, I love Rich. I think he's a. I think he's a great choice. I'd want him to be my dad. He's I also like. I am on a um, quest to make Stephen Yen my most watched actor of the year on um, Letterboxd. I don't know how I can make that happen because he's not in anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I really would like it to not be Casey Affleck, who it currently is. I mean, I mean, we're on our way. We've watched Mayhem. We've watched Humans. No, those were last year. We won't. No, I'm pretty sure we watched Mayhem this year. Oh, did we? I think so. So, I mean, that's two. Yeah, I've got four for Casey Affleck, though. And we're going to go see Nope. So, Oh, that'll be three. So I need to get two more in there. Steven Yeun, make some more movies. <laughs> well, we can rewatch Minari. So good. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Cool, babe. Did we ask him to be our dad? Not yet. Steven Yeun's character of Rich. <gasps> be, be our, our dad. dad. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to hit y'all with the rad wreck of the week. So I've been listening to the Sound and Image Lab, the Dolby Institute podcast lately, um, and it has been totally awesome. I kind of fell into it while looking for more interviews and content with the Daniels, the directors of Everything Everywhere all at once. And it's a really cool podcast. Like it's from the Dolby Institute. So Dolby, you know, specializes in uh, sound, whether it be for uh, movie releases or if it's for music releases as well like there's a lot more music being produced in what's called Dolby Atmos which is kind of this full this fully immersive um, surround sound way of recording music and it's kind of evolved the way of putting movies together as well and um, it's this really great podcast where they sit down with uh, filmmakers composers sound artists and just talk about you know essentially how the sausage was made on all of these movies yes, and, the <laughs> um, and you know, like the decisions that were made and what were their favorite moments. And I've, I've listened to um, two, the most recent ones that I've listened to are on everything, everywhere, all at once. And uh, the Batman, both of which were really, really great conversations. And as somebody who works in advertising, I brought this up a few times, but I've start I've started in the last couple of years working on more video shoots and doing commercials and, and being a part of voiceover work and, and, and sound editing and things like that. I just find this just really inspirational and interesting. And, you know, I can take away a few things to kind of put into my toolbox of things to take into my job and, and, and make, I don't know, make, make what, make the things I'm making at work better. So it's just, it's got me really pumped and, you know, it's really combining a lot of passions of mine all at once. And I, I love listening to creative people talk about the things that they create and just hearing the passion come through there and the thoughts be, and the, the thoughts and consideration that it's made in all the choices uh, behind making a movie. Making a movie seems really hard. Yeah. Wasn't it, was that um, a Chris Stuckman video that you showed me where he said like even the worst movies are miracles yeah he said something to that effect that like to to get anything made is really difficult and there's so much labor and time is put into even the movies we don't like Um, yeah yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, you've shown me a couple of um sections of the the Dolby ones. You you watch them on YouTube because you uh, love the visual I do. part of it. Um, I'd be in, actually really interested in hearing one about men because that sound design was actually one of my favorite parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could not figure out if there was chatter happening in the end credits yeah. as a sound design choice or if we were hearing people in the lobby. Yeah. And I, it was really tripping me out because it, that happens in the Everything Everywhere All at Once credits. And we on that podcast is where you, you that was confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it was weird. There were sounds happening in the movie. And then I heard them again during the credits. And I was just like, yeah, is this part of the movie or is this like <laughs> lobby noise? I don't know. Also, why you got to stay to the end of the credits. Look, they're even making sound design choices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I recommend it's the, the sound and image lab, the Dolby Institute podcast. Um, I, yeah, I do watch, I watch the episodes on YouTube. They're available there. Um, I think like now they were just releasing them as just kind of static image, um, videos on YouTube. But now that, you know, COVID has made things slightly more safe for people to gather, they're having the actual filmmakers and sound artists sit in a round table and they, they talk within a, within a cinema, but you can also find it where you, wherever you listen to podcasts. So highly recommend it's pretty, it's pretty rad. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into the wrap up here. Thank you so much for listening this week. Kind of a pretty big milestone. We we've hit over a thousand downloads, which is like, pretty wild yeah for our little baby show it feels really substantial and we thank you for being a part of getting those numbers in a place that makes us go oh my goodness yeah happened the day we moved into our new house yeah like and it was like 1000 on the dot (laughs) that day um so yeah thank you so much it's it's this has been really exciting and you know now that we're we're through nearly through the moving and unpacking and doing all of and dealing with all that stress we're going to be able to just dedicate more time and focus into into the into growing this thing and making this thing even better for all of you listening out there so uh you can check out a new episode that'll drop every thursday you can also follow us and slide into our dms on instagram at baddad.raddad you can also hit us up on twitter at baddad baddadraddad uh, you can also get a sneaky little peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts. Our usernames are Elliot Cuss and Kylie Burton. We, we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a sweet little rating, review, or a follow. Or a follow. I'm losing my voice. <laughs> <laughs> on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. And that's going to do it for these two stinkies this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. Mm-hmm.